Okay, guys, we're in Lesson 14. Now, we're in the last section of Judges. So starting from Chapter 17 through the end of Judges, it's really going to focus on two stories. We're going to look at one story today. We'll look at the final story next week, and then we'll move on to the Book of Ruth. Now, up until this point, we've been learning about the Judges. And if you remember, the Judges were those who kind of guided kind of judicially and militarily guided Israel through this whole period after Moses died, after Joshua died. And we've seen the various judges and how they have ruled or how they have guided Israel during that time. Actually, how they delivered Israel, because remember, Israel's in that cycle of, you know, they depart from the Lord, worshiping the idols, the Lord gets angry with them, he brings an oppressor to oppress them for multiple years, they cry out to the Lord for deliverance, he raises up a deliverer, which is a judge, to take care of it. And the last judge we looked at was Samson. Now, there's going to be a shift in the book, and I think it's intentional, because, like all of a sudden, you're, you're studying about these judges, and then it moves to these two stories, like why do we have these two stories? Well, these two stories are going to illustrate how bad things are in Israel. I mean, they are really bad, because the first story is going to focus on idolatry, talking about the nature of the idolatry that exists. The second story is going to talk about the moral degradation of, of Israel, how morally Israel has declined. Okay, so the first story, which is Micah's priest, the second story, which is the Levite's concubine, we're going to look at next week, okay? And it's going to show you how bad it is in this time period. Now, there is a statement that is used often in these two stories, okay? Basically, the statement says, because there was no king in the land, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. How many of you have heard that statement before? Okay? That is reflective of this time period. It's used several times in these stories, reflecting the whole issue of what's going on. Now, as we go through this, we want to, we want to learn what Judges is saying here and understand the book, but we also want to find application to our time today. Because if there's ever a time that kind of is reflected today, it's today. And again, my focus isn't on the nation, because some of you guys want to focus on America. That's fine, but you're not going to find any parallels with what's happening here in America. But what you are going to find is parallels between what's happening here and the church in America. Do you see there's a difference? There's a difference between talking about America, which is a Gentile nation, and the church, which is God's people. Do you understand? Sometimes you want to, and you listen to people on the radio, and they want to equate the two. You can't. You cannot equate the two. No matter what so-and-so says on the radio, it's, there's no way to equate the two. Okay? There's only one nation in the Bible that holds a special place with God. Who's that? Israel. Okay? Everybody else is a Gentile nation. Everybody else will be judged in the end for their sins. Okay? Every nation will be judged. 
So, but we want to focus on God's people because there are some interesting parallels. And so we're going to have some interesting discussion today. Now, we're not going to read these chapters, these two chapters in its entirety. But as we go along, I may point out some verses to you and ask you some questions about them. Okay? So I just want to point that out to you. All right, so let's first start off. We're in chapter 17. We're going to see Micah's idolatry. Okay? Micah's idolatry. Here's the first thing. The writer introduces the reader to a man from Ephraim named Micah. Okay? The writer introduces us, the reader, to a man from Ephraim named Micah. And the story just starts out rather interesting, okay? The story starts out rather interesting when you read the first few verses of chapter 17. Because Micah returns 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother because she had cursed the thief. So here's the story. It appears that his mother had 1,100 shekels of silver. That's money, folks, okay? Somebody stole it, and her response was to utter a curse against the person who stole the money. Well, here it turns out the person who stole the money was who? Her own son, and he's worried about what? The curse. All right, so what you're going to see here is these folks are somewhat superstitious. Okay? They're somewhat superstitious because they believe if you utter a curse, oh my goodness, I'm going to be suffering from that. So he returns the money to her. All right? He returns the money to her. Now, this is where it gets really weird and interesting. Okay? This is where it gets really weird and interesting. His mother then dedicated the money to the Lord... That sounds okay. So that an carved image would be made. All right, so I want you to notice with me. When you're looking at Judges, chapter 17, verse 3. So when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Okay, so she's dedicating it to the Lord. Now, the word there is Yahweh. She's dedicating the money to the God of Israel to be made into a carved, molded image. Anybody see a contradiction there? Okay, giving it to God, making it out of... What were you going to say, Bruce? Same thing. Same thing. Uh, so, how could that be possible? How could that be possible? How could you have somebody who has a concept of God, because they're dedicating the money to the Lord, but they're also making an image that they've been told to by the Lord not to do, Right? How's that possible? Well, 
Okay, so sometimes we want to hang on to our own sins and not do, you know, hold on to some things and, and when we know we shouldn't. Okay, that's good. Anybody else? Okay, I'm not going to ask you this. Okay, I just want to ask, I just want to point out to you, this is the same thing. So do you read your horoscope? Don't answer that. Hopefully you don't. What's the big deal with the horoscope, George? Well, it's astrology, which comes out of the worship of the host of heaven. You know what the host of heaven is, don't you? That's the constellations that were worshipped by pagans. So it has its roots in definite paganism. Do you know what I'm saying? But you worship the Lord, you go to church, but you read the very ambiguous horoscope to see how your day is going to be, right? Same thing. Now, I know some of you are shaking your head. No, I don't. Yeah, I know you don't. I'm hoping you don't, okay? But there are some people who do, right? Some Christians who do, they think that's okay, right? Right? Superstition, very prevalent among God's people sometimes, isn't it? Think about that. See, there, there comes a place where you kind of embrace things without realizing it. Do you know what I'm saying? So you kind of have to, we're going to work our way through this. You're going to see a whole lot more of this. This is what's going on here. This is what's going on here. So they make a carved image, okay? And I'm going to tell you something. You're going to find out that there's some people here who should know better. This story gets really interesting later, okay? Story gets really interesting later. So, she gave the money to a silversmith to create an image, and Micah had a shrine and an ephod made. So he had a shrine built to put this image. The image was being made, built a shrine, and an ephod. Now, what's an ephod? Remember I showed you, it's kind of like a breastplate that would be worn by a priest and so forth, okay? So he has a shrine, builds an ephod, okay? And he consecrated one of his sons to become his priest. So he's really establishing his own religion here. Of course, he dedicated the money to the Lord. Okay, So in their mind, they can have both. In their mind, they can have the Lord... And they can have what's wrong. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Does that sound like today? We can have the Lord, but we can also have what's wrong. Okay? What's wrong? So, so the writer, when you come to, I believe it is verse 6, this is where this general statement is made. Okay, let me read you the statement. Verse 6. And in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? No king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? Now, first, he stresses that there was no central authority in the land since there was no king. 
So basically, you're talking about it, really a, a nation that doesn't have a central authority. Now, they do have judges who, who adjudicate things and, and kind of guide things in different areas, but that's all they did. There really was no central authority. Now, before they had a central authority, right? They had it in Moses, they had it in Joshua, but since Joshua's death now, they don't have a central authority. They don't have a big man that they go to who's kind of saying this is where the nation's going. They don't have this. So basically, everybody's going to do, which is the second point here, he stresses that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Do you think this is a testimony today in the American church? How many of you think that's a testimony today? Just a few of you, yeah. Everybody, look, here's the thing. You basically are being told you can do whatever you want to do. Jesus loves you. Jesus forgives you. It's almost like that. It's almost like God doesn't get angry about stuff. Now he gets angry about unsaved people. We're always telling people that God's mad at your sin, but for some reason he's not mad at your own children. And I'll, let's let's back up a moment, okay? I, I, we've all had children here. We've all we've all been in a school system and everything, okay? And hopefully you have disciplined your children, right? Right? You've hopefully disciplined your children, get control of your children, and everything, right? You've you've done that and whatever. Now you've when you've interacted in school with other kids, you've seen kids who have no discipline at home, right? And their kids, their parents let them get away with whatever they want to get away with. How many, have you ever seen that kind of thing? But have you also noticed that those parents are like, what's the matter with those other kids? Why can't they, you know? But they let their kids get away with what they want to do. It's kind of like what we're talking about here. We're kind of like thinking God lets his children do whatever they want to do because they're forgiven, but get mad at the other ones who aren't his, right? See, that this is the problem. God gets mad. Like, you know what? I, I can get irritated with a screaming kid in Walmart. I know some of you have been too, right? Okay? But I was really irritated when it was my kid doing it. Did you, do you understand? And I could do something about that screaming kid. The other screaming kid I can't do anything about. Right? Wait till we get back to the car. You know? Or you just go back to the car. Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? So the point is, Everybody's doing what they want to do, and that's really where it is today. In fact, if somebody questions you, I've had people flat out tell me, who am I to judge? No, it's not me judging, it's the Word of God judging. I'm just pointing it out to you. So guess what they do? Go to another church where they don't say anything. Because everybody wants to do what is right in what? Their own eyes. Do you understand what's right in their own, their own eyes? So this is what marks this period. And this story definitely illustrates it. Okay? So the story continues on. There's a Levite from Bethlehem. Now remember, the Levites don't own, have any territory, but they live among God's people. So there's a Levite from Bethlehem who was staying at Micah's house as he was journeying about. The text tells us that this Levite decides to go out and find his own place in the world 
And as he's going along, he stays in Micah's house. Now let me explain to you, their customs and their culture is a little bit different than ours, okay? Culturally, if an Israelite was coming along and it was night, whether you wanted to or not, you were required to house them and feed them and take care of their needs as they were traveling about. That's called hospitality. You were to extend that. And it didn't matter how your house looked, you had to bring them in. Okay? You had to take care of them. So this Levite is traveling about, and he comes to Ephraim, and he houses that evening in the house of Micah, because that's the custom among the Israelites. Okay? You're to take care of the traveler, the traveling brother. Okay? Now, when Micah found out that he was a Levite, he invited him to stay. He didn't invite him just to stay for the evening. He's like, come live with me. Because he finds out that this guy is a Levite. Now remember, what does a Levite do? He is to serve in the temple and to instruct God's people concerning what? The covenant and God. So, the, so the, Micah says, so Micah must have had some money. Okay? His family must have had some money. He's like, I want you to stay with me. Stay with me. And here's what he wants the Levite to do. He, if the Levite stayed, he would be given a suit of clothes per year and ten shekels of silver each year. Why does he want him to stay? Well, he wants the Levite to become his priest at his shrine. And here's the pay. I'll give you a new suit each year, and ten, ten shekels of silver if you stay. Plus, I'll feed you. Give you a place to stay, feed you. I'll take care of your needs while you're here. Sounds like a pretty good deal. Now you're saying, a suit? What in the world is that? This is the second time we've seen that where they've been offered a suit. Well, folks, unlike today, where you can just go to Walmart or JCPenney's or Boscov's or, or you go to Amazon and you buy lots of different clothes and you wear different suits all the time, different sets of clothing all the time. Folks, they wore what they had on their back. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? They wore what they had on their back. They didn't necessarily have many multiple sets of clothes. They had one set of clothes. And so to get a job, because clothes were what? Expensive. And to get a job and to be given a suit of clothes, that's pretty good, right? Each year I'll give you a new new suit, new outfit, give you ten shekels of silver, that's a lot, and I'll feed you. You just need to become my priest, priest of my shrine, okay? This is a Levite. So Micah consecrated the Levite as priest and proclaimed that the Lord was good to him. <laughs> First of all, are you shocked that the Levite decided to do this? You're going to be even more shocked when you find out who the Levite is. The text tells you later who the Levite is. All right, wow. Okay, now, and guess what, Micah? This is where the thinking is. The thinking is messed up. God's good to me. He gave me a priest for my shrine. Don't we do that sometimes? We think God blesses us in the things that we do wrong, that we know are wrong. 
Yeah, that's what's going on here, isn't it? When we know, or maybe we don't know God, we think that God's blessing when he's already told them not to do this. This guy thinks that God's blessing him by giving him a Levite for his shrine. For his shrine. <clears throat> it's pretty, pretty bad. Not good at all. So now we come to chapter 18. Chapter 18 moves to the tribe of Dan. Okay? The tribe of Dan, which is the smallest of the tribes, of the 12 tribes. Okay? The tribe of Dan. You come to chapter 18. So, at this time, Dan has still not received their inheritance in the land. Wow. So, okay, remember, what were they told to do when they came? They had these campaigns, the southern, central campaign, the southern campaign, the northern campaign. They were taking the land, assuming their possession. Judah got their possession. Ephraim got their possession. Other tribes, Simeon got their possession. Okay, they made agreements with each other to and then right before Joshua dies, he says, some of you still need to go get your possession, right? Because some of them still hadn't gotten their possession. Get your possession. All right, so here we are, many years later, after Joshua's death, Dan still does not have an inheritance. It still doesn't have its portion in Israel. Okay? So this is where it starts off in chapter 18. But we're still in the same story now. We're going to add another group into this story. Not just Micah, not just the Levite. We're going to add the tribe of Dan to this story. Okay? The tribe of Dan. So they sent out five men of valor from among themselves to spy out the land. So they basically sent out five spies to look for an area to attack and receive their inheritance. Makes sense. That's what they did before, right? That's the pattern. Send out spies, spy out the land, see what we're going up against, okay? Now, these men came to Micah's house and lodged there. Now, isn't this, again, the thing that you do if you're traveling? Dan, which is probably among one of the other territories that belongs to somebody else, is traveling, they send out their five spies to spy out the land, and as they're going along, they happen to come to Micah's house, and of course, according to custom, you do what? You take care of them. Now, how do you like that, folks? You don't just have one guy show up. You have five guys show up. And you got to feed them, take care of their needs. Now, they recognized the Levite and inquired as to why he was there. So first of all, small world, right? They recognize the Levite. They're like, whoa, hey, don't we know you? What are you doing here? Okay? So he told them that he was Micah's priest, and then he inquired of the Lord for them. Now, again, look at this. The guy that should know better doesn't. And guess what? Oh, I'm, I'm Micah's priest, his shrine. Come take a look at the idol. Yes, I'll inquire of the Lord for you. I'll go ask Yahweh whether or not your trip will be good. See the contradiction of what's going on here? This is amazing. So 
The five go on, they came to Laash and found a vulnerable people with no ties to anyone. So they came to a city called Laash, and what they found was the people who were at peace, who were at rest, who weren't threatened by anyone, so they basically were not in a de defensive posture. And they also found out that even though they were near Sidon, which is to the north of Israel, which is what we would call Lebanon today, they didn't have any ties or any kind of an agreement with Sidon. They were too far away. They really had no allies. So here's a vulnerable people. All right? Vulnerable Canaanite people who were there. So the spies returned to Dan, gave their report, and called the tribe to take the land. So they go all the way back. When they get back, they meet with the leaders. Here's what our report is. We found this, we found this city. They're vulnerable. They have no ties. And we can do it. We can take the land. We can take our possession. Okay? We can take our possession. So the tribe of Dan sent 600 armed men to take Laash. 600 armed men. Okay? They're going full force with 600 men. This is a small tribe because when you talk about, when we looked at Judah, they sent thousands, right? When they sent into the war, if you go back and look in Joshua and stuff, they sent tens of thousands. Dan's a small tribe. They sent what? 600 men. Okay? 600 men. So they come to Micah's house. And they took the image and the ephod. Now, this is what's interesting. So again, they're on their way, 600 men. How would you like to take care of 600 men now? Okay, but anyhow, they, they come towards Micah's house, and the spies say to the men, oh, by the way, Micah has a shrine, an ephod, and an idol. And then the spies say, you guys do what you think is best. That's kind of odd. What does that mean? We need to go take it. So here's a whole tribe who decides to take the idol. Now, here's what they should have done. What should they have done? Anybody got any idea what they should have done if they knew better? Destroyed it. That's right. And killed everybody there for idolatry because that's what they were told to do, right? That is not what they do. Here's what they do. They took the image and the ephod. Let's go on. They told the Levite to come with them and be their priest. In fact, it's, it's even more intimate. You come and be our priest and our father. Meaning you will come and guide us. Okay? So, uh, which he gladly did. Now think about this. If you're the Levite and you're getting a suit of clothes and 10 shekels of silver a year and this whole tribe shows up and says, come and be our priest and you know you're going to get more than a suit of clothes and 10 shekels of silver a year, what would you do? Now, you would, some of you would say, I wouldn't even do it. Well, I'm not talking about from your perspective of worshiping God. I'm talking about from the perspective of taking care of you. What would you do? Yeah, he took the better job. He decided to gladly go with them. Okay? So they leave. They leave and are on their way to Laash to take Laash. Now, 
So this is how prominent, the, the, the text kind of shows you how prominent Micah's shrine is. Micah and those who lived near him called the Danites to return the idol. So it's not just Micah's shrine. This shrine had ensnared Micah's neighbors, that they came and worshipped there. So all of them are now upset that they took the shrine. So they tell the Danites, the 600 warriors, give us back our idol. What are you doing? Give us back our idol. Basically, after being threatened with death, Micah turned and went back to his house. Basically, the 600 men said, what? Were you talking to us? Be quiet. Or you might die. I mean, so guess what he does? Turns around and goes back to his house. Turns around and goes back to his house. The man of... Dan took Laosh, Laosh since there was no one to come to their aid. So they took the city. Of course, they did what they would always do, and that is wipe out everybody there. Took the city. They rebuilt the city and called it Dan. Formerly known as Laosh, but this was what the city of Dan is. Okay, so now, from now on, when you read, when you read, Descriptions from here to Dan, you know we're talking about Dan, the city, which is where who lives? The tribe of Dan, okay? Yeah, but the story doesn't end here. This is what is reflective, guys, okay? The tribe set up the idol for themselves, and the Levite and his sons were their priests. So they set up the idol for themselves, and the Levite and his sons were their priests. Now the story gets really interesting. Okay? The Levite is identified as Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. Now, some of you have a King James Bible and a New King James, and your text will say, the son of Manasseh. Is that correct? Who has a King James Bible? If you will look at verse, I believe it's verse 30. It'll say, Jonathan, son of Gorsham, son of Manasseh. New King James will say the same thing. Is that what it says? Okay. If you have an NIV, it will read the grandson of Moses or one of the older translations. Now, what's going on here? Well, the New King James and the King James are based on what is known as the majority text, which are actually the newer texts age-wise than some of the older texts. And it's very possible that what you have reflected in our Bible is what's known as a scribal error. You understand? So there are scribal errors when people wrote down something, the scribes wrote down something, they would write, sometimes make an error or an interpretation. So sometimes they get bothered, the scribes get bothered with the concept that here is somebody leading them in idolatry who is a descendant of Moses. That can't possibly be true. It must be Manasseh. So they wrote down Manasseh. But the older older manuscripts reflect son of Gorsham, who is a son of who? Moses. Now that doesn't mean your Bible's in error. Do you understand? Because if you look at your new King James, and if you, I don't think the old King James does it, you'll see a little asterisk. Okay? And it'll go to a footnote that says, that it was reflected as Moses in the Septuagint, which is what? The Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew and some other 
other sources. Okay? So I'm just letting you know. I just want to make sure you understand, because some of you are going to be like, my Bible says Manasseh, where did you get Moses from? So I'm trying to explain that to you. Okay? Now, here's the thing I want you to see. What, I mean, is this possible? That the guy who's leading them in idolatry now, a whole tribe in idolatry, turns out to be the grandson of the lawgiver? Is that possible? What does that tell you? All right, every person makes their own decisions. What else does that tell you? Are you guaranteed that your children are going to walk in your ways? No. We need to grasp that one really quick. Do you understand? You are not guaranteed anything. And soon, do you understand what I'm saying? Soon, a leader may go off the path. Do you understand? The children may go off the path. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just because someone's grandfather was someone, that doesn't mean anything. Who, I mean, your grandfather may have been a great person, but who are you? And in this instance, Moses was great, right? Jonathan was an idolater. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Moses was great. His grandson, Jonathan, or great-grandson, was an idolater. So somewhere along the line, somebody got off track. This is what you and I need to understand. There's no guarantees that your children are going to go in the right direction. I'm just being honest with you. All right? Just being honest with you. And we see that in this passage. And this is what blows my mind. How is this possible? Well, you know what? Don't just pick on Jonathan. How about all of Israel? They have left the covenant and they still worship the Lord. Woo, yes, God bless Yahweh. But they have a pretty wrong concept of God because they can worship idols. In fact, here's what it says. They set up this idol even as the tabernacle was in Shiloh. That is an important point that's being made at the end of chapter 18 is they want you to understand that even though the tabernacle was at Shiloh, where all of Israel would go and make their offerings, they're still doing what's right in their own eyes and setting up another, another idol. See the double standard and the contradictions that are going on here that the people have? You know? They're not whole... Why do you think... Now, let's stop for a moment. Oftentimes, you will look in the Bible and it will talk about wholeheartedly worshiping the Lord. Were these people wholehearted in the worship of their Lord? No, their hearts were divided, right? See, that's what the issue is. is are you wholeheartedly following the Lord? Wholeheartedly following the Lord. 